<laughs> just had a little issue there. I was, there's some stuff that I've been, we've been trusting God for and just crying out to God and had a little moments in worship. I was just weeping and then I thought, I need to, I need to pull myself towards myself. I've got to preach in a few minutes. So I started wiping my eyes and then to my horror, I realized that I'd sanitized my hands before the service started. <laughs> so I was wiping sanitizer in my eyes. Kind of counterproductive. That's okay. That's okay. So if I look a little bit weepy, <laughs> that's the reason. Got, it's because I am. I've got sanitizer in my eyes. But uh, I, love, I love making jokes. I think life is better when we're laughing. And uh, I've make, I've, one of my life missions is just to, to bring joy, to make sure that I live in a place of joy and uh, to help other people live in a place of joy too. I, I, I love laughing and I love making people laugh. And there's obviously times and places where jokes are inappropriate. And I know that for some people, that makes the joke even funnier. I get that. I've sat in some really awkward situations, and the more inappropriate it is to laugh sometimes, the more my stupid brain tells me that it's funny. Those are not great situations to be in. But there are times and places and subjects that you don't joke about. For example, you don't go to Saudi Arabia and make jokes. And if you do go to Saudi Arabia and make jokes, you don't tell stories about Allah in Saudi Arabia. Nobody's laughing inappropriately at that, right? What happens is your, your life is actually in danger, legitimately in danger. I think we don't understand what Jesus claims about himself. He stands up in the Middle East in the first century, and he says, I am God. And we think to ourselves, okay, but we put it into our context. And see, if you stand up in Durban and you say, I am God, you might get a free visit to a psychiatrist, okay? But if you stand up in the Middle East, especially in the first century, even more so than today, but still today, if you stand up there and you say, I am God, that, that's, not, that's not shame, there's, there's an issue. That's stone him, put him to death. There's times and situations that you don't speak about. And Jesus stands up into this context and he says, I am the thing that you've been searching for all along, the God that you thought that you were worshiping, the king that you thought that you were serving all along is me, I am. And uh, we've, we've been in a series for three weeks looking at what Jesus, looking at who Jesus says he is. And uh, genuinely our goal through this series is to make Jesus bigger in your estimation, to make our understanding of Jesus bigger, more clearer. Because the more I get to see him, the, the bigger he becomes in my sight, the more I love him. And the more I love him, the more I want to become like him. And the more I become like him, the more I want to be with him. And that cycle just keeps repeating itself. And so we, we want to make Jesus known through this series. And the, the, this term, I am, it's actually more accurately translated as I always was, I currently am, and I always will be. It's a term that, sorry, my thing has just disappeared here. It's a, it's, a, it's a term that's outside of time. He's saying, it's, he's, not just, he's not saying, surprise, it's me. He's saying, all along, it was me. Currently, it's me. And for all eternity, it will be me. I am. It's a term that's outside of time. He says, I, I know that you've only just arrived, I've only just arrived in your understanding now, but it was always me. We know that Jesus, when he was on earth, taught many things, and yet he keeps teaching recurrently along two themes. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he says, and I am. This is what I'm like. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this, and I'm like this. 
It says, this is what's on offer, and this is how you get there. So he teaches, and he teaches, and he teaches, and he says, I need you to understand what's on offer, the kingdom of heaven. What's on offer is the Father, and this is how you get there. This is what I am like through the Son. And by the way, I'm going to give you a helper, the Holy Spirit. This is what's on offer. This is how you get there, and you're not going to do it alone. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and he he teaches many things, but he recurringly comes back to these two themes. This is what's on offer, and this is how you get there. And we, we read the scriptures, and as Jack said last week, and, and Rich the, the week before, um, Jesus constantly makes these claims. And the more he makes these claims, the more people seem to say to him, um, just give us another sign. So he gives them another sign, and they say, just give us one more sign. Just give us one more sign. And, and as Jack said, he, uh, he sits in home affairs, and his father comes and confirms his identity. Yes, this is my son. You, this is his identity. And the guys say, just one more. Just give us another sign. And we can sit there reading these scriptures and we can think to ourselves, you all these people are not very clever. But what we need to understand is like Jesus standing up in the Middle East in the first century, uh, there was quite big stakes for that. For the people that believed that he was true, that wanted to believe that what he said was true, the stakes for them are pretty big too. They're either following a lunatic or they're following a megalomaniac who just wants to draw people to himself. He's self-centered. Those are the only two options or he is who he says he is, right? And if, if their eternal destiny forever and their life on earth, because it, they're probably going to die with him, you need to make pretty sure. You know, if somebody tells you, just explain to me how that works, just explain it again, because I want to make very, very certain that I get, I get this right, because if I don't get it right, there's quite a lot on the line. And so, First of all, we need to have a little bit of patience, a little bit of understanding with the people who constantly ask Jesus for a sign. But also, Jesus starts to get a bit irritated with them. He says, guys, I've I've told you this. At some point, you need to just believe. I've showed you, and I've told you, and I've showed you, and I've told you. At some point, you need to reach a place where you trust me or you don't trust me. So he says, I'm not a way to the Father. I'm the way. He doesn't say, I'm a truth. He says, I'm the truth. He doesn't say, I'm, I'm a life. He says, I'm the life. He doesn't say, I'm a shepherd, a gate. He says, the shepherd, the gate. It's a, it's, it, Jesus makes definitive statements about who he is. This is what's on offer, the Father. This is how you get there, the only way through me, the I am, the one who was, who currently is, and who always will be. So the Bible contains a lot of gray and a lot of nuance, for sure. But it also contains a lot of black and white. What I mean by that is it contains a lot of ones and zeros, left and right, right and wrong. There is gray, but but it it, it doesn't matter how much um, gray the world that we currently live in has. At its core, at its heart, the world that we live in is a black and white world, ones and zeros, right or wrong. And so Jesus, by making these statements, isn't saying, I am a way. There's there's a couple of ways to get to God. Perhaps if you try really hard and you're a really good person, you can get there. Or if you can't do that, you can come through me. No, it's a one or a zero. He says, I am the way. The only way to get through God is through me. That's why Jesus will always be a stumbling block. Jesus will always be the thing that people trip over when they're trying to get to God on their own. When I'm trying to do things and, and be a good person and find my way to the Father, the kingdom of heaven, what's on offer, I will always stumble over Jesus time and time again until I submit to him. 
So we're called to live at peace with people. We aren't called to go out of our way to offend people. That seems like uh, quite a basic thing to say, but for some people, that's a revelation. We are not called as Christians to go out of our way to offend people. Our countenance, which is how we go about relating to the world around us, shouldn't be offensive. Our countenance should be gracious, compassionate, and kind. But if we preach Jesus correctly, Jesus will always be an offense to people. Jesus' definitive statement, there is no other way but through me, will always be an offense to people. We don't need to be offensive. Jesus is offensive enough on his own. See, because if his claims of who he is, what Jesus claims to be, we can't sort of believe it. Because it's a one or a zero, we can't sort of believe it's a one. We either have to fully accept it, fully believe it, or fully disregard it. When somebody makes a definitive claim, he doesn't leave area for gray. Yeah, maybe we'll see, and, and maybe there's an, and, uh, no, it's either in or out. It's either one or zero. It's a definitive claim. It either needs to be taken fully or fully disregarded. And so our goal of this series is to make Jesus plain. Not who we want Jesus to be, not who we think Jesus might be, but who he says he is. And we want to also teach it graciously and compassionately because Jesus is offensive enough on his own. All over the world today, at your work, at your school, in your sports teams, on the buses that you travel on, are people wondering who Jesus is? Are people telling each other who they think Jesus is? Who Jesus could be? And Jesus has told them that already. If you're taking notes this morning, this is the thing that you need to write down. If you write notes in your hand to remember, if you put diary reminders on your phone, if you put, put this as your social media bio, uh, if you only remember one thing that I teach today, if you only remember one thing, let it be this. Jesus is not who you think he is. He's not who you want him to be. Jesus is who he says he is. This is not a series where we think this is who we think Jesus is. So this is who Jesus says he is. And if that's who he says he is, again, because it's a definitive claim, a one or a zero, my choice and your choice, friends, is to either accept it fully or reject it fully. There's no, there's no half-assing that, if you can say that from the front. It's a zero. That's a zero. <laughs> so I'm sorry if you're here listening to this today and you've had Jesus misrepresented to you by an experience or a person. Somebody has told you this is what Jesus is like or an experience has taught you this is who Jesus is and you've actually never heard who Jesus says he is. And so we walk around with this misconception of who God is and who Jesus is because of an experience or because of something that somebody once upon a time told us. I'm sorry if that's you this morning. All I can ask is that you would disregard what people have said to you. You would disregard some of your experience and trust who he says he is. And that what he says about himself is true. I want to read another time where Jesus tells us who he is. In John chapter 6, he says this in verse 24. Just a little chunk of scripture from the Bible. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into their boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side, they said, to him, Rabbi, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you that you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Essentially, you want more food from me. Don't work for food that spoils, but 
for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. And so they asked Him, what, what, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who is sent. And so they asked him, what sign will you give us that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? Our ancestors made the manna in the wilderness, and as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you, it's not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. It was my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. The, the bread you gave us last time, I was hungry again. Give us that bread. You're talking about that bread? Give us that bread. Then Jesus declared in verse 35, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've, you've seen me, and you still don't believe. So let's just put this story into a little bit of context. If you're a Christian and you've read your Bible, um, what's happened just before this story, is you might have heard the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with uh, two loaves and f or two fishes and five loaves, or five loaves and two fishes, whichever way around that goes. Um, you might have heard that story, been familiar with it. That's happened just before Jesus says this. And so he feeds the crowd after he's taught them. And then uh, he goes, the crowd realizes he's gone. They get in a boat and they go to him. And Jesus says, I know why you've come to me, because I fed you. And actually, you've come, you, you've come with a hunger in you for more bread. And they say, yeah, that's the sign that we want. God, God uh, through Mo Moses, gave the Israelites bread in the desert. That was a sign that God is with him. Jesus says, uh, I, gave you bread. You, I gave you bread yesterday, but now you're asking for bread again. The bread that God gave through Moses was me. I was God's provision for the Israelites in the desert, but I'm also your provision today. And I'm not going to give you bread yesterday, today, 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 and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. If you eat of my bread, the bread that I give you, you eat of it once. It's a bread that lasts for eternity. And these people sit there thinking to themselves, Jesus has been holding out on us because I ate his bread yesterday and I'm still hungry. He's, he's got the good, give us the good stuff so that I, can, I only have to eat it and then I never have to go hungry again. And Jesus says, it's me. I am that bread of life. Jesus says a little bit later, what does it profit a man for him to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? In other words, what will you gain if you manage to eat bread every single day on earth and yet still die? He says the Israelites ate the bread that Moses gave them in the desert. That was God's sign to you, and yet they still died. If you eat my bread, you will not die. You will live for eternity. For eternity, you will, you will be with me. What would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? What would, it, what would it profit you if you managed to eat bread every single day, like Moses and the Israelites did, and yet they still died? For eternity you won't be with me. Take care of the eternal first, and then what is on earth will come into alignment. You also need to understand that food was a proper issue for first century Middle Eastern people. So there's no fridges in the desert, there's no pantries, there's no supermarkets. Food security was probably in the top one or two concerns on a daily basis of people's hustle and grind. It was something that they had to give every single day to do. They, they had a few hours of sleep and then they woke up having to think to themselves, how am I going to provide for my family today? And so the rich people could employ people to work their fields and produce their bread or they could buy food from somebody else. Poor people had to work for the rich to provide food, then work for the state in the form of taxes, and then in the little 
time they had left, they had to try and hustle and get some sort of a food for themselves and their family. Most days, they would have nothing to eat. And so Jesus gives them bread, and the whole crowd comes saying, give us more bread. So when he says to them in verse 26, I know the reason you came looking for me. It's because you ate the bread. What he's saying to them is you came looking to me because I fulfilled a need in your life. And they say, yeah, but Moses kept producing that bread every single day, and you only did it once. Produce it again. And Jesus says, no, no, you need to take a longer view on things. Don't take a temporal view where if you eat bread every day, you're still going to die. Take an eternal view on things. If you eat this bread of life, this eternal bread, you will never hunger again. The two things that you have to hustle every single day to get bread and water are found in me. I'm the bread of life. I'm living water. If you come to me, I will free you from the hustle and purposelessness of your daily grind, and I'll make you eternally secure. Everything you need eternally is found in me. Jesus is essentially making the same claim and the same offer that he makes in Matthew chapter 11, where he says, come to me and I'll give you rest. He says, come to me, and I'll satisfy your eternal hunger. He says, don't worry about your temporal hunger for bread today. That'll take care of itself. Don't worry about that. I will satisfy your eternal hunger. He says, come to me, and I'll give you rest. I'm not, gonna, I'm, I'm not a B&B proprietor that I'm going to give you a place to sleep for the night. I'm going to let you rest for eternity, and then I'm going to teach you to live today from a place of rest. And so he's saying, I'm the bread of life. Don't worry about bread today. If you come to me, I will satisfy your hunger and your food security for eternity. And then I'll teach you to live from a place of eternal security and eternal provision today. Your life will be free from the curse of having to produce. Peter goes on to say the same thing in, Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, his divine power has given us everything we need everything we need for life and godliness. What that means is accepting Jesus' offer of himself makes me eternally secure and satisfied. And then I learn to live my life from that place of eternal security and eternal satisfaction. I learn to live from eternal security so that I can have security here on earth. I learn to live from a place of eternal satisfaction so that I can have satisfaction here on earth. Because when I live from that place, it frees me from the daily hustle and the daily grind of trying to provide temporal security and temporal satisfaction today, which fades tomorrow. It's gone tomorrow. And by the way, I still die if that's what I'm trying to do. Even if I make it, if I get that bread every single day, like the Israelites did in the desert, I will still die. So can you hear what Jesus is offering today? He's offering himself to us for eternity so that we will never lack for all of time. And then we learn to live from that place. He says, I am the bread of life. Other bread you eat and you still die. It doesn't matter if it's a thin little piece of naan or flatbread or it's one of those cheesy garlic paninis from Woolworths. After you eat them, you will still die. Not from eating them, hopefully, depending on where you buy your naan. But in spite of eating them, you will still die. If you take of me, you will never die. For eternity you will live, and then I'll teach you how to pull your eternity into today so that you can live from a place of eternal security, live from a place of eternal satisfaction. When I was young, there was a bakery in Morningside close to botanic gardens called bread ahead you might maybe you're familiar with it maybe you're not and we would go there every now and again and you knew that you were getting close obviously i didn't know street names and signs but i knew i was getting close to bread ahead when you smelt it 
And if you're familiar with that smell of fresh, freshly baked or baking bread, you will know that smell. We were away with our kids a few years ago, and we, while we were driving, we had some time, and we started ranking the smells of things, your top 10 smells. We didn't rank, rank your bottom 10 smells, but we did rank your top 10 smells. Things like rain on, on hot tar, fresh cut grass, that sort of thing. And freshly baked bread is up there with one of the best smells in the world. You know, if you, if you, if you have seen like olden day cartoons, there would be a smell coming from wherever, and, and the guy would literally float along the smell, right? It would draw you in. The smell of fresh baked bread draws you in. And if you're, going, if you're heading towards morning, Morningside and you smell bread ahead, you would go down to bread ahead, right? KFC, that's their marketing strategy. They waft fried chicken out the window because they know the smell of KFC draws you in, right? You're literally drawn in by the smell. What you'll find is that as you accept Jesus' offer to come to him, that the smell of your life will begin to change. As you learn to live from a place of eternal security, your life will begin to smell like fresh bread. Your life will begin to have a smell that draws people towards yourself because of Jesus. But it will only draw those that are hungry. You see, the spiritual realm always responds to hunger. Jesus responds to these people's hunger, and he says, the thing that you think you're hungry for is actually not what you're hungry for. It's not a thing of this earth. It's actually what you're hungry for is eternal, and I'm going to satisfy your deepest eternal hunger. I'll satisfy that. So people who are hungry will be drawn to your life if you eat of the bread of life, and they won't necessarily know why they're drawn or what it is that they're hungry for. They just will know that they are drawn to you. They might think that they need friendship. They might think that they need advice. Or that they just like being around you. There's something about you. What's actually happening is that they're hungry and your life is offering them the smell of fresh bread. But there's also people who think that they're self-sufficient, who are not spiritually hungry. And Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians that to these people, the fragrance of your life is the stench of death. Right? If you're going to rank your bottom 10 smells, the stench of death is up there. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent, rising to God, which is recognized by those on the way to salvation. An aroma, redolence with life. Put your hand up if you know what redolent means. Full of life. But those on the way to destruction treat us more like the stench of a rotting corpse. He says, to one, our life is the fragrance of life. To another, it's the stench of death. To the spiritually hungry, they are drawn in. To the spiritually dead, to those that are not hungry, who are self-sufficient, our lives are the stench of death. So don't worry if living with Jesus causes some people to be turned away from your life because it will also draw other people. The smell of fresh bread will always do that. It will draw in the hungry and it will repel the gluten intolerant. Metaphorically, metaphorically speaking. How many people live near the bakery and come to the bakery every single week because of the smell of fresh bread and yet they never actually eat of the bread of life? How many people think that we can add a little bit of Christianity to our lives and keep coming to church week after week and never actually partake in Jesus, never partake and eat of the bread of life? When he's with his disciples, he says that you have to eat my body to be united with me in death, and you have to drink of the new covenant in my blood so that you never hunger or thirst again. How many of us, friends, are like beggars living on top of buried treasure, 
How many of us are starving beggars living in a bakery, drawn by the smell of bread, and we satisfy, we're satisfied every week with a few sniffs? We kind of believe what Jesus says, but we, don't, we can't commit to a one or a zero. It's not, it's not a half, it's a one or a zero. It's not enough to live in the bakery and be, and be friends with the baker and smell the bread every week. You have to eat of it. So I want to close with three quick points of who Jesus is saying is he, he is here to these people, but also to us. Firstly, he says, I'm your eternal security. We know that security, food security is an issue. A year ago, all of you will know we had rights, and it took us one day. In fact, it took our family about three hours to start panicking about food security, right? Because we'd emptied our fridges and freezers to move, and we got a big family. It took us about three hours to start panicking about food security. Everybody else was a little bit slower, maybe six hours, and we're panicking. Food security. We understand the need for security. Jesus says, I'm your eternal security. If you come to me, you'll be secure for eternity. He says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about your body, what you'll wear. Is life not more than food and body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than them? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown away, how much more will he clothe you? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? The pagans run after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom. Secure your eternity first, and then all of these things will be added unto you. Learn to live from a place of eternal security. How you live will change. Have you ever watched um, a replay a few years later of a big sports game? South Africa won a, won a cricket game against Australia about 15 years ago, the, the, the famous 4-3-8 game, which, which was a world record chase at the time. And I watched it live, and I can remember the tension of sitting in that moment. Are we going to win? What's going to happen? Are we going to lose? We, we, it was like last ball, last wickets, and we won. And I, the tension of sitting in that moment, are we going to get there and then just stumble at the last hurdle? Obviously, we won. And I can watch that, I can watch that 15 years later and be in that same moment and have none of the tension and none of the anxiety because I know for eternity how it ends up. It's exactly the same game, exactly the same scenario, but because I know how it ends, there's no tension, there's no anxiety in my life. When I put my trust in Jesus, it's eternal security. It changes how I live today. Secondly, he's saying that he is my eternal provision and my provider. He says the, mo the bread that Moses gave was given actually not by Moses, but my father, and it was me. I was your provision in the desert, and I provided it. I was the provider, and I was the provision. But that was temporary. What I'm asking, what I'm, what I'm giving to you, what I'm offering is myself for eternity, because I am the provider and the provision. The thing that I have provided is myself. And so I'm able to rest, knowing that I can trust in the provision, but I can also trust in the provider, because he is both. At what point in your life will you be free from the worry of trying to provide for your deepest hunger, eternal security? 
See, you might be able to hustle and make a plan here on earth, but can you hustle for eternity and make a plan for salvation? As someone who spends a lot of time studying eternity, I can tell you that you can't. There's no other way but to place, than to place your trust in Jesus. And we have to keep reminding ourselves that we live from a place of eternal security and provision. That's why when Jesus is taking the Last Supper with his disciples, which we're going to do in a moment, he says, when you do this, remember me. When you do this, remember, remember, remember. He's saying, remember what I've offered you eternally, and then remember what it means for you today. Remember the eternity, and remember who that makes you today. And again, as somebody whose job it is to essentially just keep reminding people again and again who they are in Christ, I can tell you that we all need constant reminding, constant remembering. Remember, remember who Jesus is and remember who you are eternally because of him. And the last thing that he's saying is that I will satisfy your eternal hunger. What are you hungry for? When you slow down, when you quiet the noise of your life around you, what is your deepest hunger? What is your deepest desire, your deepest longing? See, deep down, all of us have a hunger to be loved and accepted. It doesn't matter how many times people tell us they love us or accept us every single day. We still wake up tomorrow with a deep yearning desire to be loved and accepted. That's not by chance. That's not because we're not clever. That's by design. See, God created us with our deepest longing and desire to be accepted and to be loved eternally. Because the only place that we can ever find our satisfaction is in Him. I cannot, find my, it, my, I cannot find the satisfaction for my need to be loved and accepted. It's, it's like eating bread every single day. If I try and find it here through my wife, through my kids, through my job, through my friends, if I try and find it through that, I'm eating bread every day and I wake up tomorrow still hungry for it. But if I find it in Jesus... I'm eternally satisfied, eternally accepted, and eternally loved. My deepest hunger is filled. So then, I know that there's people sitting here thinking to themselves, that's not me, I'm okay. I would encourage you to embrace slowing down in silence and solitude. Get alone with your deepest thoughts. Sit quietly with your deepest desires and allow them to make themselves known. See, most people struggle with that and they don't do it because our fear is that our deepest desires won't be satisfied and so that what does my life mean? It means nothing. So we never sit alone with them and confront them. Jesus says to these people, I will satisfy your deepest hunger eternally. He says, I'm the bread of life. If you eat of me, you will never hunger again. He says, I'm not who you think I am. I am who I tell you I am. He gives us what we need for eternity, and then he teaches us to live from a place of eternal security and satisfaction on earth. The bread of life will give your life a smell that will draw other people into you. Jesus is my eternal security. He is my eternal provision and provider, and he satisfies my deepest desire and my deepest hunger eternally. We're going to go into a moment of communion. Can the guys that are serving us uh, just help us? But before we do that, what it means to be a Christian is that I remove myself and I place Jesus at the center of all creation. I choose to give up my life, to die to myself, so that I can inherit his life. I ask God to forgive me of my sins, to restore a relationship with God that I was created to have. To be a Christian is to put my trust in the one who always was, 
the one who is and the one who always will be, Jesus, the only way to the Father, the one who is actually what I've been searching all for, searching for all along without even realizing it. And yet all of my security and all of my provision is found in him. If you've never asked God to forgive you of your sins through his son Jesus, so that your eternity with him can be secure, and that you can have a relationship with him here on earth and learn to live from a place of eternal security, I know that there's a lot going on, but don't worry about everybody else. Don't worry about what's going on, what's being passed. Put your attention on me, on yourself, and on Jesus. If you've never asked God to forgive you of your sins, I want to give you a moment now. I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than raise your hand. And it will be my privilege to pray with you and to pray for you. If you've realized that you perhaps have been coming to the bakery, living in a bakery week after week, smelling the bread, drawn in by it, and yet have never eaten of the bread of life, why don't you just raise your hand? I'd love to pray for you.